All right, welcome back. Uh, this is Keith Pearson again, and uh, along with me is Dr. Tom Salt. Yep, so we're here, I guess, um, my interest in being here is because uh, I'm a medical doctor and I often treat physical, I should say spiritual problems disguised as physical problems. And there's a whole medical literature on this, um, loneliness and uh, angst being some of the greatest um, causes of medical problems. So I'm interested to uh, explore some of these topics. Well, that's kind of interesting, too, because I'm a preacher, and I deal with a lot of physical ailments. Uh, not myself, well, myself, yes, but uh, people come to me with yes. all their, their physical ailments, their emotional pieces, their uh, brokenness of their lives in a lot of different ways. So yes. it all kind of it all fits together. It does. And this backdrop that we've got that we've started with is the Ten Commandments. And before we even launch into the, to the next one here, we started last week with the, uh, uh, the number one, I am the Lord your God, have no other gods. But... Before we go any further, we have to acknowledge that there's some difference in how different traditions even number these, or even how we regard what these ten things are. Uh, the, in the Jewish tradition, they don't even call them commandments. They call them ten things, or ten words, or ten wisdoms. So it was only, um, oh, maybe a year ago, we were in Bible study, and um, we were talking about the Ten Commandments. And you made uh, the comment... Well, they're really more like suggestions. And, of course, that stopped me dead in my tracks. And I looked at you and said, wait a minute. I've been, look, I've been looking at this stuff a long time. What are you talking about? So I, think maybe, I think they're more than suggestions. <laughs> yes. But they are ten things, ten words, ten wisdoms. Yeah. Uh, even as you translated in, uh, not the Hebrew version, but the Old Testament uh, translated in Greek. Uh, ten logos, ten words. And I probably just misquoted you, but nonetheless, it hit me in the <laughs> face and, and we had to have a long discussion about yeah. it. So, Well, and that's kind of how we got here, too. Okay, so just numbering to start with. Yes. Most traditions will agree with that first one. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods. But even there, we start to depart a little bit. The, in Jewish tradition, the first word, the first thing, this first commandment, if you will, is I am the Lord your God, Period. Period. Then we go on to other the other details. And if you look at it in the scriptures, there really is no numbering to it. So where you break it up is a little bit arbitrary. So starting with that idea, first of all, there's there's difference in how we number them. Some start with, I am the Lord your God, period. Others would say yep. the first one is, I am the Lord your God, you'll have no other gods before me, period. That's where we really start to part ways. The, the next part of the text actually goes on to talk about graven images or uh, shaped idols, forming things with your hands, not worshiping anything in the world that looks like anything in the world. Um, that Some number that as the second. Um, I would, our tradition, our Lutheran tradition, a lot of the Reformed tradition wants to compress that together with uh, the idea of, number one, I am the Lord your God, no other gods. So don't go out you know, crafting things, shaping things, chasing after uh, idols, formed idols, don't shape other things, you know, fish and birds and that sort of thing, and pretend to worship them as if they're somehow your God. So, by our tradition, by Lutheran tradition, the second commandment is, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, or you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, when I was a kid growing up, that was... My understanding was that was all about bad language. Right. God didn't like certain words. 
and uh, a comedian of the day, George Carlin, even made great use out of at least seven of those words. He did indeed. Uh, you couldn't speak on television, and that was great entertainment for a young boy like myself. Um, but the more I dig into it, the more I understand it. This really isn't about words or the language that we use, although that's got its own power and its own value or, or uh, corruption to our language and all those kind of things. But when you put it in this framework, I think it has a lot more power. This is about God's name. You shouldn't wrongly use God's name. So, Or disparage his reputation, I disparage, think. Is. Yeah, yeah. If you think about that, your own name has certain power. Your name has, it's not just an arbitrary gathering of letters and sounds that we hang on you like a name tag when you go to a convention somewhere. It's about your reputation. Your name is tied to your reputation. I'm I'm four of five. I'm pretty sure my name's a random collection of letters. <laughs> my parents were out of ideas. <laughs> well, I'm number seven too. Yeah, okay. There was some dispute about what name they would use for me. Uh, but yeah, so when you go to the bank and you want to borrow some money, your name means something, and it's possible that somebody can hijack your name and give it a different meaning, yeah. whether it's true about you or not. Uh, and identity theft is a huge issue these absolutely, days. Absolutely. So I think this is what the real force and the power of the commandment is. It's about God's reputation. So who is this God? Uh, what's this God like? What is he or she uh, reputed to be in the world? And how you look at this God, how you re- regard this God, and what this God's reputation is, you either are drawn to this God or repelled from this God. Right. Which is... Um uh, often a source of our conversations is, uh, I often like to ask, is the God we're talking about right now part of this organization or that congregation? Because um, so many different traditions, not just different religions, but different traditions within Christianity have such uh, disparate interpretations of what and who this God is. Sure. And I think a lot of it has to do with your your part in the world, your role in the world. There are some that follow what they call liberation theology. They'll read the same Gospels, the same texts, Old Testament, New Testament, and they'll see one, one basic underlying theme in it. Others come from a, an, an ideology called the prosperity theology, and they'll see a different stream of of logic or wisdom in that. And uh, others, like my tradition, come from something we call the theology of the cross, and that's yet a whole different perspective on this. So depending on who this God is, who you believe this God to be, it shapes how you regard this God. So if this God is a God that's for you, then you like this God. If it's a God that seems to be against you, you don't like this God. (laughs) Or if this God is against somebody that you like, then it's not a God that you like. So the liberation theology, just as one example, uh, this is one of my authors that I'd read a bit, was uh, Justo Gasales, who comes out of South American tradition and uh, a a Lutheran in a very Catholic background. Uh, But yeah, oppressed people, people that are very hard-pressed in their world and in their life, and for, for people in this uh, frame of mind or for this type of, of uh, world setting, uh, a God who liberates is very compelling. This is a God that breaks into their broken world, a God who uh, fights against their oppressors and seeks to release them, like the people like in Egypt. Like the Israelites. Right? Yeah. The Israelites coming out of Egypt. So this right. is a very compelling God, a God who liberates me. Uh, the glory theology is a whole different thing. 
the people that believe that uh, if they do the right things and follow this God, God is going to love them and shower them with blessings and life will just get better and better and better. There's some scriptural background to that, but uh, for the most part, that's not how it works out, at least by my understanding. Uh, Jesus doesn't exactly have a lot of mansions or, or uh, uh the good life, so to speak. Uh, most of his followers, like the Apostle Paul... He got to ride a donkey. He, yeah, but it wasn't his. He had to borrow it. <laughs> and he had to give it back after he was done. That's true. Yeah. Uh, the Apostle Paul, shipwrecks, you know, beatings, nearly beaten to death. Uh, jailed for jailed, a significant yeah. fraction of yeah. his life. And ultimately, we don't know exactly, but probably martyred in the end, too. So Yes. Uh, our, so Okay, so based on different stories that you know, these shape how we know or understand this God. So is this a God of judgment and retribution, or is this a God of love and mercy? And depending on where you stand in the world and how the world has been to you, you see different parts of this God speaking out, and you feel different aspects of this God then. Yes. So um, bringing this back to the idea of... uh reputation. Mm-hmm. I think that's a powerful idea. Uh, I, have, I, I could make a sailor's blush on any given day. Um, and I'm often, uh, you know, given that critical eye and, you know, somebody very righteously will say, don't take my God's name in vain. Well, usually I'm saying vulgar things and not necessarily <laughs> taking <laughs> the my God's name in vain. But nonetheless, um, it, it is interesting to me how we choose a single theme and decide that we're the enforcer. Um, and I think we have some responsibility to, um, when quotations, police each other on some level. That's what civil society is about. But at sure. the same time... Um, I think uh, a larger commandment maybe we get to later is we need to love each other more than we uh, disparage each other. So is this a God of love and mercy or a God of uh, wrath and judgment? Um, I think ultimately you have to admit that he's on some level both because there are times for judgment. There are times for intervening. When a person uh, on the street is being beaten and abused by someone that has greater power than them, then, yeah, we need to intervene. We need to stop. We need to uh, stop that from happening because of the sake of that person. A God who loves doesn't want to see any of his children abused or beaten or neglected or lost. And so, yeah, there is there is time for intervention. Yeah. Um, it just goes back on some level to... Um, where is that line and where, which battles do you choose? Because there are many people that are going to do things that I disagree with. Um, so do I enforce all of those or all of those, um, uh, you know, the person who's pious in church, but swindles everybody in his business life is, is that, um, is that okay? We don't seem to. Uh, go after that person in the same way we do who who says a bad word in the narthex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a phrase that I came across recently. Uh, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in the garage makes you a car. Yeah. 
or a mechanic. <laughs> or a mechanic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. There, is, there is something to uh, our responsibility, our joint responsibility to care for the world. If this is a world that God made and God loves and God made all of these people and all these creatures and loves all of this, then, yeah, it is our responsibility to care for it and to, to nurture it. But that's where things start getting muddy and get gray. So what, what, what point do you draw the line in the sand or where is that line? And it's usually just in front of me, not behind me. Uh, I like to justify things because I believe I'm right and I believe I'm acting according to God's will. And, of course, uh, I haven't crossed the line, but my neighbor certainly has. In college, I had a reputation for taking tests very quickly. And what I would normally do is walk up to the front of the room where the instructor was and hand him my paper and say, here's the key. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, uh-huh. I, you know, whatever I do, I, I usually like to think is right, even though there are many people in my life that are very happy to point out how wrong it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, stories. The Bible is, of course, loaded with stories, and that's how, how we come to know this God and understand this God. We, we come to know him through stories. Uh, we start out with Adam and Eve. The first story, beyond beyond the raw creation itself, it's the first interactions that God has with God's people, and God simply says, "You've got all this stuff, this beautiful, abundant garden. Eat, drink, be merry, have a good life, uh, but stay away from this one tree." And of course, that's the tree that they have to go to, and that's where things start going up, falling apart, and. It's interesting to watch the, the dialogue that happens or the discussion that happens after this and what people do with that and how we regard this God because of that. Now, was it just pure disobedience that was the problem and God's got to do something about that? God's got to uh, enforce some random law which seems very random. It's just about eating one particular fruit tree. Uh, that seems kind of arbitrary. But there seems to be consequences that come from this. And it's not just, now I'm going to do this to you, but because of what you've done, several things start unraveling. And all of this creation that God has so carefully crafted and pulled together in just a certain way, uh, not finished, mind you. We stopped after six days, but that's that's a whole other story. Uh, good, good, very good even, but not perfect. And now things begin to unravel. Because of what you've done, things are going to unravel. And there's all just a long, long laundry list of things that are are changing now uh, that will be different because of this. And that's not unlike you know when your when your kids mess up. You, okay, something is broken. Something is something is different because of this now. And tomorrow doesn't look like yesterday anymore because of what happened today. Yeah, that's. That's an interesting conundrum. Um, Placing temptation. Um, You know, when my kids were young, we, they always wanted to watch inappropriate shows, right? (laughs) So I decided that I was going to watch this crazy show called Real World with them. And this is a crazy show. This is a bunch of kids. They buy it. They put them in a house and then they just watch them do stupid stuff. But uh, the kids loved watching the show. But during the commercials, we were able to talk about all these temptations. We were able to talk about the fact that one person stayed up all night and was drinking too much and ended up in the bathroom all night 
you know, speaking to Ralph on the big white phone, as they say, and, um, you know, then doesn't make it to work the next day. And then he faces the consequence of that and he gets fired. And, you know, we, we have a conversation about all this stuff. So placing temptation in our way seems cruel on some level, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's the way we learn. True. Think about my my daughter when she was very young. I can't even remember what age particularly, but she was at that threshold of going from uh, riding a bicycle with training wheels to going without. And the training wheels are helpful for a while, and they're even necessary, I would say. And we try to sort of lift them up a little bit at a time as she got more and more comfortable until they were sort of just just modestly holding her upright, and most of it was her own balance. And I remember remember like it was yesterday, that, that day when we finally took them off, and it was at her bidding, so it was her choice. Okay, today's the day we're taking the wheels off. And uh, it was just a matter of 10 or 20 steps, I'm sure, from this panic a request from her saying, Daddy, don't let go, to uh, a few steps later, looking back at me with almost anger, saying, Daddy, let go. <laughs> <laughs> and she was ready to be off and on her own. Uh, so at some point, God has to take the training wheels off for us, too. And we're going to crash and burn, and we're going we're gonna to have consequences to the things we do. But that doesn't change the fact that God is still a loving God. Uh, and maybe most difficult when we start, when my... Uh, actions hurt another child of God's actions or another child of God in their life. That's, that's when God needs to intervene. That's when God gets upset. Um, we have the story of Cain and Abel, of course, and uh, one brother gets jealous of the other because God seems to like the one better than the other. And it even leads to fratricide. One brother kills the other brother. And the question comes back from God, uh, you know, where, where is your brother and the brother Cain who, has done the killing, says, am I my brother's keeper? It's never said there, but it's sort of implied the answer to that is yes. I am my brother's keeper. I am responsible for my brother. Uh, Live or die or otherwise, I am responsible. That's the nature of this God. This God has uh, made both of us, and God loves both of us. And so if I trust this God, if if I want to give this God a good reputation as I go out and be a reflection of God in the world... What I do matters, and it changes how people regard this God. Yes, my God made me and loves me, but my God also made my brother, my neighbor, the stranger, the foreigner. And how I treat that person is a reflection on God, good, bad, or otherwise. And this is a recurrent theme. I mean, mm-hmm. it's Cain and Abel, and but there are many other stories culminating at some point with Jesus telling the disciples the two most important commandments. Mm-hmm. Love God and love your neighbor. Right. And you can't separate the two. Right. And it's not... I wish that it was nice and black and white. I wish that it was simple. I wish that it was always abundantly clear which is which and, and when to stand and when to, to move. Uh, probably the best example that absolutely muddies everything even worse is the book of Job. <laughs> And God basically stands back and lets the devil do all kinds of nasty things to Job. And it's it's really unfair and it's unjust and it's unright. Uh, it's not what a loving God would do, you don't think. A, parent, a loving parent wouldn't let some stranger abuse their child. Um, it's, it's difficult to watch that. It's difficult to say. And the, the very least 
that you have to say in that story is God doesn't stop it. God doesn't not let it happen. Mm-hmm. So when hurricanes, floods, fires come, we have that same gut-wrenching feeling. Why would God let this happen? And you do have to say, at the end of the day, yes, God let it happen. It's all, well, I've got a whole bunch of ideas swirling in my head right now. It's always interesting when the entire neighborhood is flattened by a, by a tornado or something, and, uh, you know, the people standing in the gutter of the street that's flooded are saying, thank God we're all okay. <laughs> well, it would have been more convenient if he didn't let the thing hit your house, right? Yeah. Um, but thank God we're all okay. On the other hand, there are other families just down the street where they're not able to thank God that we're all okay in this physical realm, at least. So it's complicated. The movie, um, what's that, Field of Dreams? There's a scene, I believe it's Shoeless Joe Jackson is in the uh, field and uh, whatever Kevin Costner's guy is named, he's he's upset because um, uh, Darth Vader, what's Darth Vader's name? Oh, James Earl Jones. James Earl yeah. Jones. <laughs> James Earl Jones gets to go into the bushes, go, uh-huh. go into the cornfield with uh, the, all the other ball players, and goes. And uh, Kevin Costner says, "Well, what about me? What about me?" And um, uh, Shoeless Joe says, "Is that why you did this for you? Is that what this is about? Is this about you?" And uh, that's when he gets to meet his father, of course. But uh, it's kind of a similar idea. It's not mm-hmm. always. I like, I was told uh, early in my uh, kindergarten, not kindergarten, I keep saying kindergarten, uh, Sunday school, that Christians are always third. There's God, there's everybody else, and then there's me. Mm-hmm. And, and that speaks to service. Yeah. You know, it speaks yeah. to service. And, you know, that's a podium position. Third yeah. is a podium position. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think there's there's a promise in this that there's a, a, there's an ironic promise in this, uh, and this is the last will be first and the first will be last whole idea. Right. Okay, so if you try to make your first, you're going to end up last, and if yep. you put yourself last, uh, you're actually going to do really well. Mm. God still loves you. God is going to do these things for you. It, it's yeah, it's absolutely contrary to the way that we think of the world. Uh, and that's that's really a good way of putting it. If you're Christian, you're always third, at least third place. I think that's true. And God God always puts God's self second. Um, the cross is the perfect ex- example of that. Um, if we think the world, and if we think about this God as kind of the Santa Claus principle, if I do good things and if I don't get caught doing bad things, uh, I'm going to get the, the stocking full of stuff. I'm going to get all the good presents on Christmas Day. That's not how this God works. In fact, God invites us, Jesus invites us to come and die. You know, that's not a great sales pitch. <laughs> no, it's come not. And give up everything and come with me and die and it'll be great. Yeah. But there's a truth in that because when we scramble and try to live and we try to gather and we try to collect and we try to hoard all this stuff and we try to, to be first and above everybody else and put everybody else, you know, myself first and everybody else last, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a horrible existence. Stuff is a character flaw. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and if you look at my life, you'll see that I have a lot of character flaws. Uh, you know, I'm pointing at myself more than anybody else. But stuff is a character flaw. When you really think about the times in your life where you felt uh, the most connected, the most um, useful, it wasn't about some stuff that you collected. It might have been about some stuff you gave away. You know, um, I made a decision some time ago. I was running uh, in a, I was on the island of Grenada and I was running around the island. And uh, I got, a, as Daniel Boone once said, I got a mic turned around for a couple of days. I got lost, <laughs> is what happened. And I was out of water, out of food, out of options, and hurting bad in 90 degree weather and 90% humidity. And a guy who had nothing. Uh, showed me where the water spigot was and gave me the last two bananas he had. I was a rich, you know, rich American, in quotes, and I was a medical student who, you know, the ugly American in a foreign land. And uh, but uh, let me tell you, there were a lot of ugly Americans down there, and I, I'm, I'm sure I was one of them. I like to think I wasn't, but I, I'm sure I was in many ways. But this man took pity upon me, and gave me a little sustenance and some water. And from that, I, I realized that, uh, you know, walking past people in need is a sin. And they said, you know, they act like it's feeding pigeons. Don't give them anything because they'll just come back. Yeah, they probably will because mm-hmm. they need help. Yeah. And, you know, there's this whole ideology that, you know, there's beggars making $100,000 a year and driving away in brand new Ford pickups. And maybe there is somebody like that, but I haven't met them. <laughs> in fact, when I was in college, I did a documentary about uh, some homeless people in my college town. I went to uh, Chico State in Northern California, and I did a video documentary. Um, and they, you know, they weren't really rich people. They were living under a bridge and they were barely making it. And some of them had mental health issues and, you know, others had one of them just, you know, he was a typical American guy living paycheck to paycheck and had no safety net and lost his job. And there went everything, one domino after the other. The other guy uh, had mental illness. Well, we presumably live in a society where we try to take care of each other and there were, you know, no resources for either of these guys. All of the, all of the, you know, it's taboo to have psychiatric illness. If he was having a heart attack, we would have helped him right away. Mm-hmm. But because it was mental illness, it's all taboo and, you know, he's just a terrible, worthless human being. So it's, it's a complicated interchange between what does it mean to, um, you know, take God's name in vain uh, when you've served the least of, you know, what's, I, no, of course I'm going to screw it up because we're on tape here, but the story of uh, when I came to you as a beggar, you yeah. served me. Yeah. Well, you're walking by God when you don't mm-hmm. help these people around you. And, yeah. um, and maybe that's it. We're, we're back to the, the basic nature of God, the basic character of God, uh, and our basic character by contrast. So the the... I love this. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Harry Went. He's a uh, also a Lutheran preacher that's done a beautiful job of creating some really interesting Bible studies that are... One of the key points to it is a kind of a universal icon nature that you can use to tell these stories with, and they're used across multiple languages. They're used all throughout the world. Anyway, his basic 
his basic uh, universal symbol for God is a circle with four arrows coming out from it. So uh, kind of expanding out almost like sunburst-like. That's uh, an interest. That's interesting. That's a Native American symbol. Is that right? Yeah. So the nature of God is to to give and to create and to push outside of God's self for the sake of everything and everybody else around Him. Hmm. Our nature, by contrast, the the Latin word or the Greek word, excuse me, is an incurvatse, to turn in on oneself. So the nature of sin is the exact opposite of God's nature. The nature of sin is to turn in on ourself, to, to grab and to hoard and to, to worry and to hold out, uh, to turn away from the neighbor and to just be, you can just imagine a person clutching their arms around their own heart and throat and uh, uh, against the world around them. Uh, to be that is to be the opposite of God. So to be like God is to, to give and to, uh, to sacrifice self and to be for the sake of of the other, to be for the sake of the nature, uh, neighbor and the stranger and the, all these things. That's, that's the God essence uh, that is so contrary to what mostly drives us and what's mostly our culture. And uh, with all of that said, um, grace has already been given. Uh, you know, on some level, grace is um, don't let perfection be the enemy of good mm-hmm. enough. <laughs> we're all trying and I've got lots of my own character flaws with all my stuff and I've got and I walk by, by those people and sometimes the very people who are begging for help are the ones that I just can't can't summon the courage and energy to walk towards um, and yet hopefully I find a different starfish to throw back in the water <laughs> yeah. alright well thanks for joining us again I hope this has given you something to think about, and uh, we'll be back.